Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So a couple weeks ago, a uh, good friend of mine, her and I went and visited, we took a little trip up to Little Italy. It's right by where my previous assignment was in Cleveland Heights. We went to Little Italy, we got lunch, and then we worked off our lunch by walking around Lakeview Cemetery. So I don't know how many of you have ever been to Lakeview Cemetery, but it is gorgeous. It is a gorgeous cemetery uh, right there up in Little Italy, especially this time of year. If you're looking for a fun little excursion on the weekend, go check out Lakeview Cemetery. It's absolutely breathtaking. They got a, really, they got a lot of fun monuments there. One of the cooler ones is the, uh, the guy who coined the phrase rock and roll. He's buried there. His headstone, his gravestone is this huge jukebox, which is pretty cool. So he's buried there. Um, President Garfield is buried there. He's got this gigantic memorial that cost a huge, well, it was a significant percentage of the United States GDP that year. But he, uh, he's got this beautiful memorial there. Got Wade Chapel there, all this Tiffany glass. But there's other monuments there that, I mean, don't look anything like Garfield's memorial. I'll just say, I'll put it that way. There's some very simple ones, some very plain ones. Some, some that are so plain, in fact, you, you don't even notice them. Um, you can walk right past them. They just look like boulders with, you know, you just notice the, the, the etchings, the carvings carved into them. I, do, I like walking around cemeteries. I, that makes me weird, I guess. But um, I like doing that because it puts life into perspective. It does. It puts life in perspective. It has a way of making us think about the end, right? The four last things we would say as Catholics. Death and judgment, heaven and hell. In other words, our e- eternity, the fact that we're mortal, right? It's very hard to miss the fact as you're walking around a cemetery, oh yeah, all these guys used to be alive, right? And now they're under my feet. Benedictines, their spirituality, one of the things that was hard, at the heart of uh, Benedictine spirituality is this whole idea of memento mori, right? St. Benedict, he, he told his monks that one of the ways I want you to greet each other is to say frater, brother, memento mori. Remember your death. Remember your death. And it wasn't to be macabre. It was to invite them to live with the end in mind, which is the most rational, logical way to live. We moderns tend to live without the end in mind. Uh, We get suddenly caught off guard by death. But death's coming for all of us, right? You can't escape it. This is where Jesus directs our attention in this gospel this weekend with this story of Lazarus, a poor man, and an unnamed rich man, which, by the way, is a heck of an uh, inversion, right? In the ancient world, the people who got named in the great myths, the great stories, were the wealthy, the powerful. It's like, who cares about those rich people? It's just an unknown, a poor guy, right? But in this story, we have the poor guy is named, and the rich guy is an unknown man. Unnamed man, I should say. And every time you come across someone in Scripture where they're not named... It's a subtle way the Holy Spirit's trying to say, that's where you put yourself in the story, right? And he describes these two with very quick but highly illuminating brushstrokes. He says this rich man, he dresses in purple, which to us we're like, it's an interesting choice. But to the ancient world, you hear that, think, oh, this guy is like wealthy, wealthy, right? Purple was a, it was a color of royalty. It was a color reserved for the emperor, in fact, from how difficult it was to obtain. So he dresses in purple and it says he feasts sumptuously every single day. That's a heck of an adjective. Adverb, I should say. English teachers, don't throw things at me. Adverb, okay. Sumptuously every day. He's like 
we hear those people in the, pro- the, the, the prophet Amos is railing against, those people laid out on their ivory couches, drinking, I love this detail, drinking wine from bowls. Like, did you miss that? I don't know, picture that. Like, like a big spaghetti soup bowl or something, right? Like, like, not like a little goblet. They're drinking wine out of bowls. Sumptuous dining. That's who this guy is. That's who this guy is. And you got, so you got him and then you got this poor man, Lazarus, who is so not like that rich man, who's sick, he's starving, he's desperate, he's lying at the gate of this rich man's home. He's covered in sores and that detail about the dogs, how gross is that? The dogs come. I mean, he must, be, he must have been so weakened to not even fight them off. But dogs would come and lick his sores. And both of these people, Scripture says, and they both die. That right there is the first lesson for all of us. That right there is the first message for all of us. I don't care how wealthy you are. You cannot buy a way out of death. You can prolong it, but you can't buy your way out of it. It's a consequence of the fall, right? There's a lordship to death in some ways. That St. Paul, when he talks about death, he talks about death as like capital D, death. Almost as like this power, this dominion, this quasi-God almost that... You cannot stop it. So it says that Lazarus, he goes to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man goes to this place of torment, this, again, this great inversion. Now, look, this parable is not communicating a message that's as simple as rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. There's something deeper going on here. What's what's striking about this parable is that it's really about what the rich man did not do much more than it is about what he did. Notice, like, Luke doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say that this rich man broke any of the commandments, right? He doesn't go off and say, like, he was breaking any of the laws of Moses. He wasn't an idolater. He wasn't breaking the Sabbath. He wasn't stealing. He wasn't lying. He wasn't cheating. He wasn't committing adultery. He wasn't murdering. He wasn't doing any of those sorts of egregious sins that we think, oh, that's a bad sinner. No. What was his crime? What did he do? Well, he lived a life of luxury, a life of gluttony that led him to fail to love his neighbor, to fail to love the poor one who was lying right in front of him. His heart, he allowed his heart to grow so callous and numb to the needs of the person who is directly in front of him, right? His was not a sin of commission. We would say it's a sin of omission, right? For what I've done and what I failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. His most grievous fault was what he failed to do. What he failed to do. He never reached out. He never said anything. And here's the thing that's so striking about him that he knew the man's name. Like from torment, he cries out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my brother. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in a cup of water to cool my tongue. He knew his name which is even worse in some ways. He knew who this man was, and he just ignores him. Luke says that he's laying at his doorstep. You have to imagine this rich man coming in and going out of his house every single day, almost like stepping over his body to be on his way. You wonder if there, maybe there was a moment when he thought, I should do something. But at a certain point, his heart shut down. He grew calloused. Now, again, here's where this gets very personal for you and I. I was asking Jesus early in the week, I was saying, Jesus, all right, so the, the plain meaning of the parable is just very obvious. I was like, Jesus, like, what's the deeper meaning, though? Like, what's, take me deeper. What's the deeper meaning? And he looked at me. I'm in prayer. He looks at me. He goes, there isn't a deeper meaning. <laughs> I'm like, oh. 
He's like, yeah, it really is this simple. There are real people that I put on your path that you choose to ignore to your peril, just like the rich man. There's a priest, I, I, I admire him very much. In his homilies, he says, there's moments in the, in the gospel, he's like, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Like, this is one of those ouch moments. That's what he said, though. In my prayer this week, that's where Jesus brought me. Like, there's not a simpler, re- there's not a deeper meaning here, right? It really is this simple that the Lord does, in, like, in his providence, he puts people on our path. He brings people into our world. He puts people in front of us. He's saying, I'm asking you to love this Lazarus. And so often we just step over him. And if you're wondering right now, if you're thinking, okay, is that guy who I see on the off-ramp holding that sign, is that my Lazarus? Like, well, maybe. But more often than not, like, more than likely, you live with Lazarus. You work with Lazarus. Or maybe you live next door to Lazarus. Because in the gospel, Lazarus is lying right in the guy's door. He's just like, he's right in his world. He's right there. There are people that Jesus puts right there for you and I to love. This is what he does. This is, this is, the, this is the principle of the incarnation, right? The eternal, infinite love of God becomes flesh. You could point to it. There he is, right? That Jesus calls us to real, authentic love, not generalized love, but real love, which is demanding. It brings sweat and blood out of us, right? He doesn't command us to love humanity. Jesus never says, love humanity. Like, that's easy. Ah, yes, I love humanity. Except like Bob, right? I don't like Bob, but I love humanity, right? No, he says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Like that person, those people who are right there in your 10-foot radius, right? Lazarus lying at your door, right there on your path. But like, but Jesus, like I had plans today. Like I had a whole thing I was going to do. It was my day off finally. Like I had some things I was going to do, some errands I was going to run, some things I was going to accomplish. Like you don't really expect me just to waste time on this person, do you? Well, let's look at his life. The divine Son of God, Jesus, who came to reconcile the world back to the Father. Jesus, who came to wage war against the powers of sin and death and hell and Satan. Jesus, who came to embody the love of God the Father. Jesus, who came to breathe the Holy Spirit back into humanity. That's a heck of a mission. A little bit more important, let's just say, than me going to, you know, get my oil changed, right? This was, that was his mission, and we can see over and over and over again in the Gospels, where Jesus is making his way from one place to another, how he gets waylaid, how he gets interrupted, how often he's making his way from one place to another, and someone from the crowd cries out, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Come lay your hands on her. Jesus, son of David, have pity on me, right? Bartimaeus on the, on the roadside. It was his disciples who tried to shut that guy up, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Or the woman with the hemorrhages, if I could only just touch the hem of his robe. Or think of Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus, I must stay in your house today. Or Simon's mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Could you just, I know this might be asking a lot, but could you just like lay your hands on her? Look, Jesus allowed himself in the midst of his divine mission to be interruptible. Like if we're too busy to be interrupted, 
to enter into the concrete needs of someone in front of us, we are dangerously close to developing the kind of heart that this rich man had, which is a heart that is callous to the needs of others. Like this whole life that we're living is meant to be a training ground where we're meant to learn how to love more like he loves, which is selfless. Like to break us out of the egotistical trinity of me, myself, and I to make us love more like how he loves. And look, friends, I, I am preaching mostly to myself tonight, okay? Just so you know, just we're all on the same page. I'm mostly preaching to myself tonight because how often I'm on my mission, I've got my to-do list, I've got things to do. People know how busy priests are, man. Holy cow, it's true. But we're meant to be interruptible. We all are. And there's, there's moments, no doubt, there's moments where, like, as your priest, I've just not been available I've been like blinders on, like an icebreaker, just plowing through. And I, I miss you. And I repent of that, and I'm sorry about that. Here's the point. that Loving Lazarus is never convenient. That's the point. But our salvation hinges on it, right? Just like Matthew 25. Whatever you did to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. What you did not do to them, you failed to do to me. You want something to challenge you for the next year, just focus on this section from Luke and Matthew 25. It'll challenge the heck out of you. Friends, in this post-COVID world that we're living in here, like so many folks are still struggling so much, especially kids. Kids are struggling so much. There's a lot of mental health issues, people with anxiety and depression, the suicidality that's going up through the roof. Because like Lazarus might not look like He might not look like a man wearing tattered clothes, covered in sores, lying at your door. I mean, he might. If he is, take care of him, right? That's that's an obvious one. But he, he probably won't look like that. He might look like your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. He might look like your spouse, who doesn't just simply want to hear about the things you did in your day, but like he wants to hear from you about you. Lazarus could look like your grandparent who's just desperate for a little bit of a visit, just a phone call, a little bread of your time. These scriptures, especially Matthew 25, they were, this was the thing that like focused so many of the saints. I'm thinking of in particular Mother Teresa. This was the, the mission statement of her life. So it's gonna, I'm going to end with a Mother Teresa quote. It's always good to end a homily with a Mother Teresa quote. She said this. She said, The greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, for despair and hopelessness, is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little bit of love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love, as there's a hunger for God. So I pray this weekend, Jesus, may we never become so callous, so busy to fail to love you, hidden in the Lazaruses you put in our path. I want to invite you with your family this weekend, this week, to think as a family, 
how you're going to concretely put this into practice. Because if it's just words that we're thinking about right now, it's doing us no good. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for the Lazarus who is right in front of you? 